0: Greetings, you're on Deep Background for the uh, 6th of June, 7th of June, 2017. Dave Helling with the editorial board of the Kansas City Star. Great to have you with us. Uh, joining me uh, for t- today's uh, podcast, Jason Hancock of hey. the Star's Jefferson City Bureau in Kansas City for a rare personal appearance. So we appreciate that, man. <laughs> so, so where are we down at Jeff City? We're the middle of June. We've been through at least one special session. Uh, is all quiet on the Western Front or the Central Missouri Front now, Jason? Or uh, do the uh, gears of government continue to grind? Well, we are, we
1: are just waiting in expectation for the governor's next special session call. It was rumored last week that he's already reached out to legislative leaders and let them know that there's going to be one uh, focusing on the issue of abortion. We're just not sure when he'll call it and when it will be. There's some who think it could come as early as this afternoon. He'll make the call and we could be back next week. Heard later in the month, but it's almost a foregone conclusion that they we're going to get the lawmakers back in Jeff City for another special, and it's going to focus on trying to enact some new abortion regulations and uh, undo an ordinance in St. Louis that tried to offer protections for women who have, uh, from discrimination for women yeah. who've had an abortion.
0: Let's, let's uh, I want to come back to the just past special session in a minute, but is the whole world clamoring for an abortion special session? Is there... Was there a particular pressure? Seems like it, it's much more about what it says than what they're trying to do.
1: Well, you could make the argument that of the interest groups that make up the Republican Party, the social conservatives were the ones that got the short shift
0: this last session. It was a very chamber of commerce. Why did that happen? Why do you think? Because I think you're exactly right. And we've talked about this before, that the Missouri session turned into sort of a pro-business, uh, anti-labor, arguably, uh, session more than almost anything else. And you would think the opposite would be the case, that the social uh, issues that have sort of been held in abeyance for eight years under Jay Nixon would ascend rapidly, but it didn't turn out that way. Do we have a sense of why that was?
1: Well, I think it's when you talk about the things that were sort of held at bay by Jay Nixon, the social issues actually, I mean, there were several abortion bills that either he let happen without taking action or, or over his veto pen. The stuff that got stopped for eight years were these anti-labor bills, these you know, tort reform bills; those are the things that the chamber has been trying to get over the across the finish line for years. Yeah, and, but we,
0: you did have a bit of attention on the social stuff. Oh yeah. I mean, it,
1: and you, you also got to remember, Grattan's was the guy that spoke out against the the religious freedom bill last year. This was not his constituency, right? So and they and weren't. In fact, wasn't much. even
0: endorsed by the Missouri Right to Life That's people right. in the campaign because of concerns about his uh, devotion to this issue. Right.
1: So the more cynical people in Jeff City will say, we're going to have this special session because he's trying to shore up that part of his base, either right. by, for a run for higher office, which we've hypothesized in the paper in the last few weeks, or just because they are the, lo- the most loyal of the constituencies of the Republican Party. If When you're calling a special session, there's supposed to be an emergency. It's supposed to be some sort of extraordinary instance that brings you back. I imagine what the argument will be is that with a recent court ruling, Planned Parenthood's already said, we're going to reopen a bunch of clinics. We're going to start providing abortions in multiple cities in Missouri. Republicans will be able to say, we've got to put some restrictions in place to um, to to meet that um, expectation. and why wasn't
0: it done in the special or in the uh, regular session? And that's
1: the and that's what the critics will respond to Republicans too. Like, is it extraordinary just because your bill didn't pass? Is that what the Constitution had in mind? There's there's going to be folks that say, why are we here? Why are we doing this? I think that because it's an abortion bill, though, the critics within the I Republican Party it. will be tamped down quite a bit. Well,
0: there was some rumor that there would be an ethics special session that he would and that that would really. You know, one of the great themes we've seen from from, from uh, Eric Greitens is this idea that we need ethics reform. We can talk about the hypocrisy of that in a minute, but that seemed like a political thing, too, that you would have a special on something like that, but we haven't seen that. Why? Do you have any sense of why that is? Um,
1: I mean, it kind of goes back to what you just hinted at. I, I, I believe that Greitens is smart enough to know where that debate devolves down into. He could call a special session to just ban lobbyist gifts. Is that an emergency or not? Right. But couldn't he make the
0: case, hey, I want to clean up the swamp. They won't do it. I mean, it becomes, because I'm just struck, Jason, by the combative relationship between the governor and members of both parties in the state legislature. We've, you know, not everyone loved Jay Nixon, even Democrats, by the way, as you well know. Matt Blunt was not beloved by all Republicans. Uh, You know, Mel Carnahan, a little bit better. But but those disputes seem to be much more private, that, that legislators would—you know, Democrats would walk in the corner and go, that Jane Nixon is uh, right. so-and-so. Now it's an open revolt. I mean, you've got Ryan Sylvie and just go down the list of the people who who have uh, who have criticized the governor openly. It, it, that seems unique to me.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's funny because when we first came into this session, you know, Greitens, it's been a whole campaign calling everybody in Jeff City corrupt— And we returned to Jeff City, and all the reporters were asking leadership, you know, you guys is there some hurt feelings about this? And they all said,
0: "Nah, yeah, it's campaign that's stuff, politics That's how it
1: works." It's starting to rub people because it hasn't stopped. His campaign is essentially his governing style and his campaign style kind of dovetail nicely. And so, if you watched his end of session press conference, which I'm sure everybody tuned in, <laughs> um, you know the rhetoric wasn't that much different than it what he would not. have done at a campaign
0: rally back in no like October it's 2016. Kind of a one note guy. But but you saw some examples of that criticism from Republicans even from the first special session, which dealt with a special interest uh, a measure for southeast Missouri down mm-hmm. in the boot heel. Talk about that a little bit. That even some Republicans got a little crossways on yeah, on the, that uh, legislation.
1: Yeah, it was a two... The call, the, the call to uh, convene a special session contained two parts. One was aimed at attracting a steel mill and aluminum smelter in the boot heel by allowing the Public Service Commission to set utility rates. It gets a little wonky, but essentially trying to make their – they use a lot of power to do these things. They're trying to lower their utility rates in order to make them able to profit. And current
0: PSC rules would
1: have prohibited that. Right, right. And the second piece that Greitens was pushing for was sort of to balance that, to help Ameren, who's the utility that would be footing the bill for this, pay for improvements in infrastructure, which would have ended up – critics say, causing utility bills around the state to go up. Any Ameren customer would base, essentially be paying for the smelter and the steel mill. Right. That was the piece that drew a lot of opposition, as it has every year. Anytime you start talking about utility rates, you start running into—it becomes nonpartisan. It's, right. it's, it's, it's geographic. With
0: Ameren, though, Ameren, oh, yeah. which is, uh, you know, it tends to be the target of the ire of some legislators, in my experience— and, of course, they're not reluctant to hand out checks when, right. it, when the time comes. So that was almost guaranteed, guaranteed to be a little controversial. Right?
1: Well, absolutely. And that's what's funny is he, you know, Greitens campaigned hard in the districts. There were robocalls by his nonprofit slamming these state senators who had problems with the bill. At the end of the day, the bill that they passed that Greitens is going to sign at some point and declare victory over is what they were calling for. It removed the part that was controversial. It focused solely on this idea of a steel mill and a smelter. It was everything they'd been calling for while they were being called career politicians in ads and in rallies and right. in robocalls.
0: And and that part of it would have passed relatively easily, don't we think? Yeah. I mean, but, so the idea that he went down there and had a rally and then. You know, brought all these people back to Jeff City, and I guess the stickers on the doors. Right. I mean, extraordinarily provocative.
1: Yes, he's definitely, <laughs> I mean, like I said, his governing style and his campaign style are really not
0: that different. I mean, provocative for no reason. You were going to win, so why go through all this stuff unless you're trying to, you know, really rub legislators' faces in it in a way? There's an argument. I wonder if he needs a foil. If you're going to be campaigning, you
1: have to be campaigning why against. Why is the someone. foil
0: a Republican? Almost oh, I think always. The, I think
1: the foil is just the Senate, and that's right. it's in it because the Senate is where things go to slow down and die right. with the filibuster. And so, if you're a guy that's trying to just push things through and get things done, that's the body. But the that's filibuster has virtually
0: disappeared in the Senate. No, there's I, lots of stuff in the No, States but I mean, Senate I that. was listening on the last day and they were PQing like crazy. Right. On the last oh day. no, absolutely. More than they ever have in the past, let's just be clear. Some things are still filibustered, but the whole minimum wage thing was a yeah. sort of an anti-filibuster. Uh, right. You've got to get end. very
1: special bills to be able to PQ. You've got to get an over—you've got to get the constitutional majority that will vote for PQ, and it's hard to do even with a Previous question. We should— Right. Sorry. Don't know. The, 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 to vote to cut off a filibuster is called the previous question motion. And so you have to get 19 senators to sign off on doing that. Some of them, unless it's in a bill like an abortion bill or the minimum wage where there's, like, strong Republican support— they're not going to be willing to sign off on that because they're going to want to filibuster the next bill, right? and they don't want to set the precedent. I get the
0: sense on the minimum wage this year that the that the previous question was ordered in, in part because there was anger at St. Louis legislators who were holding up uh, progress on other bills, right? And then right. they said, okay, we're going to punish you by taking up this minimum wage because I think people in Kansas City, even up to the last day, thought that that might slip under the under the radar that they might actually never take up this minimum wage le- legislation, which they did. And the House, as you know, passed it with about 10 minutes to go. Right. Right. Well, the, the thing with the... They, there was always an expectation that there could be that cutoff
1: of debate on the minimum wage bill. The fear was among Democrats was that they do the minimum wage, well, let's just go ahead and do this bill and this bill, like, let's just right, roll 90, through. Bang. Once they got to the minimum wage, Democrats showed that they learned a few tricks in the interim. It took about three hours for them to just cut off debate. There was just yes. so many bizarre, small, nitpicky procedural things that they just frankly ran out of time and that was the last thing they could do. But the
0: Senate has really devolved into a weird, dysfunctional body, hasn't it? it really? From has. what it used to be. No, it really hasn't. You can there's a lot of reasons for that. I mean term
1: limits. Breaks down the the camaraderie amongst the senators and just and,
0: the polarization yeah. of the electorate and the urban versus rural split, which is yeah. more pronounced it seems than ever. And then the
1: governor's actions helped splinter that as well. You know, when he's down there calling a senator that telling a senator he's knows he's afraid of him because he can see it in his beady little right.
0: eyes, <laughs> right? Or calling him in and yelling at yeah. them. I mean that. I mean, again, a, that all seems provocative to me. And when you go
1: back, a lot of senators will point to that instance as where things got off the rails, because they would have expected Senate leadership to go, hey, hey, knock yeah, it I'm off, not in off. our house. Right. They didn't, and then you began to do... That's when the quote-unquote resistance caucus started to form, <laughs> these Republicans that were just trouble for the entire session, that were filibustering right. or holding up debates or trying to force a vote on dark money, things like that. That was where sort of the genesis of it was, because in a lot of ways, leadership lost control of the. We Were the
0: Greitens people smart enough to see that coming? Well, they... I mean, I think, you know, it's one thing to sort of privately poke your finger in the eye of Republicans, but you'd think that people would be smarter about the ultimate impact that that would have.
1: Well, and he's, his, a lot of his legislative staff came from the Senate. Right. So and you'd think they'd understand known. the body. There's just an argument to be made what might play well in the legislature may not matter to them as much as what's playing out in the general public. You know, if you're campaigning and your priority is, and maybe that's, there's also, like I said, an argument to be made that that's a good thing, that he's listening to the people and not worried about Jeff City insiders. But at the end of the day, if it slows your agenda down to a crawl.
0: And forces at least one, maybe two, maybe three special sessions, the public begins to get a little antsy. And then don't you think, uh, uh, Jason, that uh, this dark money thing is beginning to stick a little bit. I mean, you've written so much about it, and we've tried to write a few editorials and columns about it. And I really, you know, when he, the other day, he was on the radio in St. Louis and tried to compare dark money to voting, which right. was absurd in about eight different ways. <laughs> but it showed he was concerned about it in a way, which that he would, make, to me anyway, that he would make that kind of stretch. And I think that's because people are beginning to really, you know, it takes eight or nine, stories before it really starts embedding with the voting public. Yeah, do you sense it, that at all?
1: And that's the big question is what in the you know, among normal people who don't follow this stuff as closely right, as right. we do, what is resonating? You know, people make that argument that campaign finance is not an issue that moves the needle, but hypocrisy is and if this dark money stuff starts breaking through and paints him as a guy who ran as a ethics reformer and then just gave it up the second he got in power I think that is a message that could stick and I do think that they recognize that which is why they're trying to make this a first amendment issue like that if people trying to force disclosure of dark money are trying to impede on the first amendment rights right, but of those that donors that really
0: is inside baseball oh, I mean I yeah. I think you know unless
1: like I said the argument that they were making on the floor was which is partially ridiculous but you know, yeah, they're trying to out the donors to a new Missouri, which is the governor's right. nonprofit. But they'll also out the donors to
0: in all AACP, these other NWCp. Right. Yeah,
1: they'll right. make you if you put money in a church fund, they'll out you there, and you're going to get harassed by leftists.
0: Right, right. And and so that's kind of inside baseball too. My point is that I think the early strategy from the Greitens people was ignore all these complaints about dark money because people aren't going to pay any attention to it but now i think they're beginning to think that this has more legs than they know whether that's through polling or anecdotally right. or whatever because they're talking about it yeah. and they, you know uh, Todd Graves is out doing an op-ed in our newspaper about how money is speech and right. all that claptrap. And, 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 yeah. and uh, you know, Greg Keller and some other consultants, Republican people, they're all making the argument now that this dark money thing is OK. I can't help but believe that's because they now believe it's a problem for their party.
1: Well, this is the campaign. I mean, it was the Gritens advisor that said that the only people who care about government transparency are reporters and Democratic operatives. And right. So if that's the case, then why are they out there Making noise about it now,
0: and not only that, but uh, dark money will be a huge issue in 2018 in the Senate race. I mean, outside funding and third-party funding in the in the Claire McCaskill and whoever the Republicans nominate, Ann Wagner is one of the early favorites. But in a competitive race in a red state with a blue uh, Democrat in the Senate, you can really see how dark money will be an issue, and if the predicate is raised this year, that this is somehow sinister or whatever, it might you know slop over yeah. into that race a little bit. And there's also
1: one thing you hear from Democrats, especially legislative Democrats, is they'll go to donors, they'll go to businesses, they'll go to the wealthy people in the state asking for money, and they'll say, "Look, I would support you, but the Republicans have a majority. they're going to have right. a majority
0: for years. I can't.
1: They'll I take got, it out I on do. me. If I, I don't do. want to
0: see anybody to see this. But now, if
1: it's only a matter of time at this point before some liberal nonprofit or Democratic-formed nonprofit starts raising a lot of money. And is it hypocrisy? Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, I think Republicans need to start looking at that, that a oh, lot no. of these, this money is going to start flowing in the other direction.
0: Right. But let's be, also be clear. Uh, Eric Greitens did not invent the 501C4 oh, no, Dodge. I mean, it, it's actually been in Missouri for many years. He's and just I, the first big politician to have his own essentially I and mean, we so. went through we went through a huge thing here when the earnings tax was on the ballot, and there was a a pack or a group formed that was a five oh one c four and you know it c- comes and goes you don't not only do you not get to see the the donors but you don't it's years sometimes before you can see even how much money was raised or contributed yeah. and where the money was spent, and I, I just do think it's beginning to seep down to the public that there's something nefarious about, okay. about this funding mechanism and that Eric Greitens' people are beginning to right. realize
1: that. It doesn't help that he was so adamantly opposed to, a like, anonymous is, campaign is money. Is that
0: why ethics failed? There yes, it so has reasons. to be yes,
1: right? There's a lot of reasons ethics failed. I mean, it was always a big ask in the Senate, but it is difficult to get people who are not— In love with a lobbyist gift ban to vote for it when they can say, well, he gets to fly on private planes funded by anonymous money, but I can't get a free pizza.
0: Well, my argument to people was not only that, but it gave gave legislators an excuse whether they believed in it or not. They could easily say the, the biggest champion of this is as crooked as the day is long, so I'm not even going to take it up. Right. Or like,
1: why are we doing this small piece when yeah. we should do this? And you don't want any of it, but you right, know that right. this... Because the dark money thing became there was a small group in the Senate that was going to kill that and not let it go through on this First Amendment argument. So, yeah, there's a strategic argument to say that let's let the dark money debate <laughs> come up because it'll kill the whole thing. You know I've told
0: this story before, but I wrote about a 501c4 problem, geez, in 2006 or seven. With the uh, selection of judges in Missouri and Missourians for a better court, set a right. C four, and, and I got a call from a legislator go, uh, asking me to explain how it worked. And this is something we should deal with. It was Jason Cander of all people. <laughs> you know, he was in the legislature yeah. at the time. He said, and so he actually introduced a bill that would prohibit uh, five hundred one C fours from participating in Missouri elections without disclosing donors. Right. and of course went nowhere. Which is the fate of all ethics reform legislation, arguably, isn't it? I mean, are we at that place now, Jason, where any chance... I mean, this was going to be the best year, the best chance to get something. Well, now we have a thing out there to kill it. If
1: if you you either believe that dark money, the dark money ban, the disclosure of donors has to be a part of it, or you hate the whole thing and you want it to kill it. But either way, the House, I believe, will come back in January and pass a gift ban.
0: It'll get to the Senate.
1: Senate and we'll play this out again. And, you know, there's just a contingent of people who think it's either for real policy reasons, think it's bad, or just just they want to keep getting
0: gifts. But, yeah, ethics reform is a tough ask. And let's—but let's also be clear, a judge threw out the voter-imposed, at least some of the voter-imposed— But there's uh, another ballot measure working now. Right, so— I mean the, the but the battle over campaign contributions ethics reform seems much more on the voter level than it does on the legislative level. Yeah.
1: Well that's it? you know, you brought up Jason Cantor and he used to say this all the time when he was Secretary of State and in the legislature that you know ethics reform is only controversial in Jefferson City. Like everywhere else it's it's a seventy percent issue right, as we right. saw with amendment two. And that was a very flawed ballot measure. Um, and if there was, but if you know, if this group—it's called Clean Missouri—gets another one up there, it'll pass again with seventy percent. And there'll be lawsuits, and some of it will get thrown out, and we'll see where things land. But it is—it's—it's it's, nobody wants to be the person that runs against ethics reform. This—this this is the, this. Just attempt, no one wants
0: to vote for it, right? <laughs> and like
1: this attempt to turn dark money into an infringement on the First Amendment, I believe, is the first salvo of folks trying to find an argument that will play. To fend off some of this stuff. And again, Greg Keller somebody I've spoken to. This this is not a ploy. This is not shtick. He truly believes. Oh, no, no, no,
0: no, no. I I remember having a conversation with Jeff Rowe around the earnings tax because Freedom PAC gave them all this money, secret money. And they're very adamant that, that, you know, this will expose donors who will be subject to abuse. Right. Of course, that's true for liberal 501c4s, too. So, uh, but and beyond that, just having secret money just just puts into question virtually everything right. government does in my right. view.
1: Well then that's the problem Eric Grant is running into now. When he makes appointments someone's going to stand up and go, did that guy give to your nonprofit? Right. You know, when he signs a bill, you know, we had this when story. When he gives a
0: casino license exactly. to the
1: Osage Nation. You know, right. the, we have a reporter, and I don't know when this will post, who's going to do a story about appointments to the police commission and yeah, the, yeah. the rumors that surround who's going to get those appointments. And one of the names, I'll save it for Glenn Rice's <laughs> wonderful story, was a donor to his inaugural um, yeah. nonprofit, or at least related to, you know, the person. And so... Did that person give a bunch of money? You know, it could be completely above board, right. but when you inject this stuff into the debate, it it, it creates well, that and appearance. I, and
0: as I've tried to write, and we'll move on after this, but as I've tried to write, if you want to give the governor a donation and get an appointment to the to the police board, that's you know fine if it's above board if right. it's if it's visible, then voters can fairly judge. I mean, the idea that. Campaign contributors are not permitted to, you know, take right. appointments or anything. It's ridiculous. That happens all the time in government. We should know about it. That's right. the only point I've ever made. I was at a chamber function the other day, and I said, "We want to know who's buying who." Right. <laughs> and yeah. a lobbyist was on the panel. Said, so, "Well, we wouldn't call it buying." <laughs> <laughs> well, but, that was the
1: argument for years from Republicans. Is like yes. You don't need re- you need reporting. You don't need restrictions. Like, right. let's make it right. all in the sunshine, and it's fine. And
0: then Mitch McConnell, I think, and some of the other Republicans said, "No, this is a way to raise millions of dollars without anybody knowing about it. Okay, uh, final question. So there are some things we're still watching for the veto pen. We talked about this on the way up, the the UMKC money, mm-hmm. we uh, the, let's talk about that a little bit. The minimum wage, which mm-hmm. is still out there, the discrimination bill, which I think has angered some people. Do we have a sense of which way the governor is leaning on any of that stuff? Um, I mean,
1: I think that he's been signing all of this stuff. I mean, all this is, you know, the the second two things you mentioned, the minimum wage and the discrimination bill, were huge chamber of commerce pieces of their agenda. I've been pushing for this stuff for a long time. I don't foresee him vetoing them. Um, with the UMKC. You know, it's not the kind of corporate welfare that he's railed against. You know, it's a university spending, half the money's private, and there's a lot of big donors in Kansas City that would be pretty miffed if he vetoed that. You know, it's just a matter of is he going to make a big public showing of it, I don't know. Because there are some conservatives that expressed, you know, we're cutting 60,000 old people off of prescription drug coverage, yet right. we're buying a dance hall in Kansas I City. I think I something,
0: to, there's some Republicans in the legislature who think the whole thing is unconstitutional. Yeah. Yeah. So there is some argument against this this bonding mechanism to provide the 48 million.
1: Yeah, it's really a them. testament to some of our local senators that managed to talk down some people who are going to filibuster this thing, because there is, there's just a... There is a, cons- a really strong sentiment among some of the conservatives in Jeff City that, one, we shouldn't be taking on more debt. And, two, if we are, why aren't we fixing roads? Right. Why aren't we building, you know, right. You know other Right, and the things.
0: symbolism of it is important, too, right. because St. Louis then gets in line and right. Springfield and Joplin and... It's Cape hard to Girardo. make the
1: argument to someone in Cape Girardeau that a ballet studio is going to be a right. benefit to their life. And
0: they ought to pay three million a year for the right. next whatever it is to satisfy those bonds. I mean that we think three million in a budget of what, twenty-four or whatever yeah. it is, but is not much, but that's kind of what the state sends to the Truman Sports Complex. It's not an in inconsiderable amount of money in terms of, you know, pork directed at a specific right. project. And if you place. start
1: thinking of things like I can't, I'm forgetting the number now, but it was, you know, what, 15, 20 million, something like that, when we're talking about keeping senior citizens in certain programs. Right. Like, you know, eventually it's the old adage, eventually this adds up and turns into real money. Like, right. 3 million here, 2 million Plus, there. revenue
0: isn't doing that well in Missouri, as, in, as yeah. in most states, and you could see, you know, rescissions and withholdings coming up too to have signed a bill, you know, allocating that kind of money, and then 60 days later having to do withholds from whatever. If it
1: does run into problems, that would be why. If he was going to point to something and say, why I can't sign it, it would probably be like, I'm cutting education, how can I put money towards this?
0: Do you, do we anticipate anything in the veto session itself that would be uh, compelling Uh, I mean, you know. It'd be hard for me to see a bill he would veto. That would really uh, electrify the legislature. I mean, it's,
1: you know, the Republican majorities didn't send a lot of bills his way. It was about half of what they usually send. Yeah. And the stuff they did was, you know, pretty meat and potatoes, stuff that a Republican governor would. Typically, you would expect um, signed pretty quickly, but he hasn't really signed much this so far. You know, the bill review process is still ongoing. We'll kind of see where he lands, but I don't see anything unless it gets into budget. You know, he could veto some stuff in the budget. Do some line item stuff. Maybe he could come back and and override that. But you know, that's the benefit I guess for him of having a Republican legislature. Do they want to come back and? pick these fights with him. I'm, it starts in the House, and that's the one chamber he's actually had a good relationship with.
0: We're about wrapped up. But let me ask you a final question, uh, Jason. Has, did anything that ha- happened surprise you this year? I mean, was did it unfold in a surprising way in Jefferson City in the sense that the relationship, particularly between Eric Greitens and the legislature, seemed more acerbic than I think any of us assumed it was going to be?
1: Yeah, and, and it got off to the bad foot so quickly you know, with that pay raise debate. You wouldn't think that he would have, one, gotten involved in it, and two, allowed it to turn so ugly. Like, not only did he confront senators in private that leaked out, obviously, but then after he won, he got on social media and continued to like pound on them. It really did poison the well in a lot of ways. And the rest of the session, it was. It was, you know, I've been in Jeff City since 2011. This is the first Republican governor, Republican legislature. I think we all came in thinking, well, this is going to be pretty smooth sailing. And it got off the rails well. pretty quickly.
0: Yeah, well, the other thing that surprised me, frankly, is I get the idea that you're at war with the press and we're going to ignore mainstream reporters. But typically that's a 30-day thing. And then you sort of realize, OK, they have a job to do. We have a job to do. And there is some uh, relationship, easy or uneasy. That never materialized, that's it, right. ever? No, I, have a I stand- mean, I find that very surprising
1: yeah and there was points there were a couple points during the session where they started replying to media inquiries and you thought okay well the detente has begun right, right. the thing is melting we're we're getting to a good spot but I mean, my anecdote I've been sharing with people is I have a standing Monday morning email to the press secretary asking for an interview. I've not, I spoke to the governor numerous times during the campaign. I haven't spoken to him at all other than a couple of press conferences since he was elected. That's amazing.
0: So, I mean, you're there. Yeah. I and mean, you would think you would just run, him in, run into him in the hall. Well, occasionally you do. He would talk all, to you. let me just be clear, <laughs> for all the crap we've all given Jay Nixon, he would stand for questions. Yeah, yeah.
1: No, it's the, he. it was a lot of, a lot of consternation about Jay Nixon's press operation and yes. how he dealt, dealt with the media. But you're right. If you caught him out in the world, he stood there and took all the questions that you would give because, you know, he, I almost think he was more comfortable in that setting than he would have been in like a one-on-one right. interview.
0: I mean, it's almost unique with Gritens. I mean, even right. Sam Brownback takes questions, not, you know, as often as you might like, mm-hmm. but he still takes questions. Eric Gritens literally mm-hmm. won't stand for questions.
1: Yeah, I think oh, it's, it's trending universal. in that direction in a lot of ways. Yeah, I just read a story about the governor of Kentucky that does, it. you could have read it with a Jefferson City dateline. You know, it was him well, going on. Well, trump got some
0: of that, too. Yeah. I mean, Trump doesn't take, you know, it's friendly audiences, it's yeah. Twitter, it's these other and things. And I mean,
1: but I think it was our colleague wrote the story where he quoted Jeff Rowe saying, well, what's the political upside of taking your pounding from the press? Just ignore them and move on. And <laughs> it's a cynical way, and I don't think it's a healthy way to govern, but... I think there's and, a lot of ways in that that's, that's what we're trending. And it,
0: ultimately, my view is not only is it unhealthy and cynical, it's going to fail, not because we're great people or whatever, but you, 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 Facebook and Twitter are not legitimate alternatives for the vast majority of people. Mm-hmm. And if they don't hear from Eric Greitens in our paper or on television, but we're writing about secret money, we're writing about ethics reform failing, we're writing about some of the things you and I have talked about here you have to answer that, it seems yeah. to me. If you don't, then then that, and maybe that's why that stuff is starting to seep in a little bit, and maybe that'll change going forward. Yeah. Or I mean, it'll not. be interesting to see
1: the evolution of Eric Greitens as he continues, presuming he continues to be our governor over the next three years, right, right. Um, and how that relationship unfolds. So
0: we've got to keep our eye on Iowa. You know, <laughs> if he sneaks up there to Iowa, you know, Jay did that once, and I wrote something on the blog, what's Jay Nixon doing in Iowa? And, he wasn't happy about well, that. Next time
1: again. I come back, we can talk about Greitens versus Cander in 2024, I we think, can all drive know, up there. So. Jason
0: Cander was in New Hampshire this week. That's so. true. All right. Jason Hancock with the Stars. Jefferson City Bureau, thanks so much for joining us. I'm Dave Helling with the uh, editorial board of the Kansas City Stars. Always, we thank you for joining us. Questions, comments, criticisms, uh, sit down and shoot us an email, and we'll try to do better next time. For now, you've been on